in the Red Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or the one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then they warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Friends, uh, before we uh, come to consider God's word in more detail, I think we need to uh, ask for God's uh, guidance. So would you join with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and uh, we do pray now that as we come to consider your word that uh, you would uh, free us from those things which would distract us. Help us to focus on who you are and uh, on what you would have to say to each one of us personally this morning. Father, we pray that we would not be people who simply hear your word and do not respond to what it says, but uh, rather that we would be humble and contrite in heart, that we would tremble at your word. And Father, that uh, through your spirit, that you would take that word and mould us to be people who uh, truly understand and believe in Jesus and uh, seek to live with him as the Lord, the ruler, the king over our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, today is the uh, Sunday before Christmas, as if I need to tell you that. Uh, But what I want to say is that uh, it seems to me that if there is ever a time when our society uh, stops to think about Jesus then it is probably around this time. It doesn't actually get too much better than this. Uh, Christmas, of course, is always a, a bit of a competition, isn't it? It's a competition between Jesus and Santa and family, but nevertheless, Jesus is very much on the agenda, isn't he? Uh, you, uh, you get Christmas cards from people who uh, perhaps don't uh, think too much about Jesus at other times of the year, but they will send you Christmas cards with pictures of Jesus on them. Uh, you, um, uh, you, you go down to the local shopping centre and uh, as you're walking through the shopping centre, you will hear uh, songs being played through the PA system, which are the songs that we sing here in church, uh, great songs about Jesus. Now, it's all designed in order to get you into the spirit so you'll spend a bit more money on Christmas presents and so on. But nevertheless, Jesus is on the agenda. You'll even find nativity scenes of Jesus tucked away somewhere behind the whole Santa Claus kind of deal and so on. At Christmas time, Jesus is at least on the agenda and there's a greater freedom that we have to, uh, to talk about Jesus and to think about who he is and why Jesus is so important. There are some uh, non-Christians uh, who I've noticed who, uh, who think that Jesus is important for Christmas. 
you notice that when the you read in the newspapers that some of the schools have banned the nativity plays from from schools because they don't want to offend people from other faiths faiths and people get upset about that they say jesus is part of our culture you can't take that away from us for some people jesus is a cultural symbol very much a part of our western culture other people uh, at Christmas time will want to talk about how much they value Jesus as a teacher or as a moral philosopher uh, or as one of the most influential people in history. There was a book uh, uh, on the most influential people in history and I think Jesus came in at number three. I'd want to put him at number one, but they had him at number three. Another book I read on the most influential people in history put the Apostle Paul as being more influential than Jesus because they say that Paul established the church. But uh, no, Jesus is one of the most influential, if not the most influential person in human history. The editorial in the Sydney Morning Herald last Christmas Day uh, quoted one of, uh, one of our Australian political leaders uh, and his views on Christ's teaching. He said, and I quote, that Christ's teaching provides an illuminating principle that can help shape our view of what, consider, what constitutes appropriate policy for our community, the nation and the world. End of quote. Now these things are true, aren't they? Jesus is important to Western culture. His teaching has uh, shaped human society in profound ways. Uh, and he is one who we look to for uh, teaching on moral guidance and so on. And for those reasons alone, for those reasons alone, I reckon that it's worth taking a public holiday and celebrating his birth, even though it's 2,000 years later and we're on the other side of the planet. But the question is, is there more to Jesus than that? Is that all that there is to Jesus? I want to say to you at this uh, Christmas time that that is an incredibly important question. Because Jesus claimed to be, to be much more than just a cultural identity or a, or a historical figure or a social reformer. In fact, if the claims that Jesus made about himself are true, which I would argue that they are, then the question, who do you think that Jesus is, is quite frankly the most important question that any human being, any person in this building, uh, you or me, that any one of us will ever have to answer in our lives. Who do you think that Jesus is? Now, it's that very question which Jesus put to his own disciples in the passage that we're looking at today as we con continue our series on Matthew's Gospel. I wonder if you might want to open up your Bibles at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, on page uh, 694. Let me just say something about the, the uh, context here. Uh, Jesus uh, and his disciples had travelled to an area which is in the north of Galilee. Uh, it, it, it was an area which in Old Testament times would have been considered to be the northernmost part of the promised land. But now, or in the first century, at the time when Jesus visited there, it was now Gentile territory. We read uh, in verse 13 about that. Let me, uh, let's just have a look at verse 13 for a moment. 
It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Now, Caesarea Philippi is a city by, uh, which by its very name uh, represented uh, the greatest kingdom that the world had known. Uh, it wasn't always called Caesarea Philippi. It, uh, before then it was called Paneus, uh, named after the Greek god Pan. Uh, but the emperor of Rome, uh, Caesar Augustus, had given that city over to Herod the Great. You remember Herod the Great? He was the Herod that was, uh, uh, that was ruling at the time when Jesus was born. Now, after Herod the Great died, uh, the city was passed over to Herod's son, Philip. Now, Philip renamed the city. Instead of calling it Panaeus, he called it Caesarea. Now, who do you think he was trying to honour when he did that? Caesar, Caesarea, but he also called it Philippi. Who do you think he was trying to honour when he called it Philippi? Himself, that's right. Caesarea Philippi is the name of this city. And uh, in, in its very name, it was symbolising those who were in political power, it was symbolising the earthly kingdom of the Roman Empire and the greatness of Caesar and the supposed greatness of uh, Philip himself. It was very symbolic. And so it is interesting that in this place, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus had been referring to himself as the Son of Man, so he's saying, who do the people say that I am? Now, of course, uh, Jesus actually didn't need to ask the question, did he? I mean, it's not as if Jesus uh, wouldn't have known uh, Jesus knows everything. He's not dependent upon his disciples to uh, kind of do a survey and find out what people are really thinking about him. Uh, Jesus is omniscient, as the theologians saying, but by asking this question, he stimulates a very, very important discussion. And we see that in verse 14, because in verse 14, the disciples give their answer. Let's have a look at that, shall we? Uh, the, the question is, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And the disciples replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why would, they, why would the people be thinking those things? Uh, why would the people be thinking that Jesus was Elijah, or that Jesus was John the Baptist, or that Jesus was Jeremiah, or that he was one of the other prophets? Why would they... I mean, all those men are dead, <laughs> Why would they think that Jesus is one of them? It's got to do with a very important Jewish expectation about a king, a great king. Uh, woven throughout the Old Testament are prophecies about a future king, a king who would be in the dynastic line of David, who would come and who would save Israel and who would establish the greatest kingdom that the world had ever known. Now, there's uh, lots of passages about that. I've listed some of them for you in your outline. Um, Psalm 2 is a great one. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 is another terrific one. Uh, one which we often uh, read at Christmas time is Isaiah chapter 9. So how about we have a look at that one for a moment. Uh, if you turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 just briefly, you'll find that on about page 
489. This is uh, one of my favourite Christmas uh, uh, verses. It's actually uh, sung in Handel's Messiah, which is playing at the Baptist Church this afternoon. I'll just put a plug in it for that if you want to get out there. But in Isaiah chapter 9, verses uh, 6 and 7, here is the prophecy. Here is the expectation. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, friends, here is the Jewish hope. The hope that one day God, in the person of his king, would sit on the throne of David, that he would be the ruler of the kingdom of Israel and indeed that he would be the ruler of the world. For does it not say that of the increase of his government there will be no end? That is the Jewish hope. That is the Jewish expectation of the coming king. If you go back to uh, Matthew uh, 16 then, uh, the problem is this. The problem is that in the first century, uh, that is not the case. That in the first century, rather than God's rule of being king, that Caesar is king, that Rome was empire, and Israel was pitiful and oppressed. Now it is in that context that there was the, the, the prophecies of the coming king very much resonated with, uh, with the people. Uh, they expected and they hoped for, they longed for a king who would, would raise up an army, who would rebel against Rome, who would drive the Romans out, and uh, would establish a new kingdom uh, focused on Jerusalem. So who do the people think that Jesus is? Well, the Old Testament taught that before this king came, that someone else would come to prepare the way. Now, that is why some uh, thought that Jesus was Elijah, uh, because the, the prophet Malachi had said that uh, that Elijah would come again and that Elijah would be the one who would prepare the way for the king. But as we've uh, looked through Matthew's Gospel, we've seen that that prophecy was actually fulfilled uh, in the person of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the Elijah figure who came as a voice calling in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. Others thought that Jesus, maybe he was John the Baptist, but come back to life. Now, it sounds uh, strange to us, but you might remember from uh, chapter uh, 14. Who was it who thought that in chapter 14? It was Herod. Herod thought, Herod was scared that uh, Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life after Herod had had him decapitated. So that was a, a view that was around as well. Then there were some other Jews who believed that um, the prophet Jeremiah would return before the king and his kingdom was established. Now, that is not... Uh, uh, something which they had derived from the Old Testament itself. It uh, was derived from the apocryphal uh, books, 
but there was this expectation that Jeremiah would return first. Now, when you understand all of that, do you see what the people are saying about Jesus? They're saying that he's very special. Uh, the miracles, the teaching, the raising of people from the dead, the walking on, all, that, all of that sort of thing. They're saying that Jesus is very special. That they're saying that he is good, but what they're saying is that we don't see kingdom being established here. Rome is unchallenged. We're thinking that Jesus must be the forerunner, that there is a king that's going to come after him, that he's Elijah, that he's John the Baptist, that he's Jeremiah, he's one of the other prophets, but he's not the king. And so Jesus says to his disciples in verse 15, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, at this point, uh, this is getting very personal, isn't it? This is moving from the general to the specific. Jesus is saying, never mind the others. You've seen all of the miracles. You've seen the walking on water, the feeding of the thousands. You've I, I've taught you personally, uh, you have seen my life for the last two and a half years, so let's cut to the chase here. What is your personal view? Who do you think that I am? Now, that is a very important question for you and me to be answering as well. Uh, we can uh, recite uh, some very true doctrinal statements about who Jesus is, statements like the Apostles' Creed and so on. Uh, we can talk all we like about what the Presbyterian Church believes about Jesus, but the question is, what do you believe about Jesus? There's a lot of ideas out there as to who Jesus actually is. Uh, you can go on down to the local uh, secular bookshop in town there and uh, uh, go and check out the religion section. I think they've got a couple of uh, shelves uh, dealing with religion. And uh, you'll find all sorts of books about what other people think about Jesus. Uh, there's always some uh, best-selling theologian who comes up with some new theory about who Jesus is or who he wasn't or all of that sort of stuff. But as we read the eyewitness accounts which is what Matthew's Gospel is, and Mark and, uh, and John and so on, as we read the eyewitness accounts, we must, at some point, make a decision, a very personal decision, about who we personally think Jesus is. Who do you say that I am? That is the question for the disciples. And Peter steps forward as the representative. Can't help himself, Peter. That's what I like about him. See what he says in verse 16? He says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, do you see what he's saying here? He's actually saying, You are God's King. You are the King that was prophesied. Uh, because the, the word Christ, uh, you know, I mean, some people think that that's Jesus' surname, don't they? You know, Mr. J. Christ. Well, it's not his surname. The word Christ, uh, it comes from the, the, the Greek word Christos, which means 
anointed one. Uh, it's the same as the Hebrew word uh, which we call Messiah. It means anointed one. And that is very, very important because in the Old Testament, there's only one category of people who were anointed and that was the kings. The way that a person became a king was by being anointed with oil. That is like the equivalent of, of a coronation in our kind of culture. Uh, that, that, what Peter is saying here is that you are the anointed one, that you are the king whom we have been expecting, that that person is you. And you know what? He's spot on. Jesus declares that in verse 17 because he says, well, Peter, you are blessed because what you have just said has not been revealed to you by man. It's been revealed to you by my heavenly Father. And I've got to tell you this, if it's been revealed by the, the Father in heaven, it's true. He got it right. Now, Peter doesn't always get it right, does he? In fact, even though he got this part right, as we'll see next week when we look at verses 21 and following, when Jesus then goes and says, well, let me tell you what's going to happen to uh, the Lord's anointed. Uh, the Lord's anointed is going to uh, suffer and die and Peter says no no no, no that's 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 not going to happen uh, don't be silly uh, you're not going to suffer and die uh, more of that next week but you see why does he say that it's because Peter is still hoping that Jesus would be the kind of earthly king uh, Peter is hoping that Jesus will actually raise up a bit of rebellion that he will overthrow the Romans and set up a palace in Jerusalem that is that is his mindset. That is his expectationally. And personally, I, I've got to be honest with you, I find Peter a very easy guy to relate to because what kind of a king builds his kingdom by being killed? That's the opposite to what you want to do if you want to build your kingdom, go and get yourself killed. What kind of king does that and what sort of a kingdom is that? Well, let's have a look at what else Jesus says. Uh, verse 18 in verse 18 he says and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose in earth will be loosed in heaven and then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ well what sort of a kingdom is it in verse 19 have a look at that I will give you the keys of the kingdom of... What does it say? What does it say? Heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is a different kind of kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about driving out the Romans and defeating them. I mean, if that were the case, then, yeah, he would be just a historical figure and a cultural figure from the past. And he'd be of very little relevance to you and me except if we're historians. Jesus is talking about something, he's talking about defeating something which is far more significant than defeating the Roman Empire. He's talking about defeating the one enemy that uh, all people still face. You face this enemy, I face this enemy, we all face the enemy called death. And the claim which Jesus makes is that he will defeat death. In verse 18, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, the, the grave will not 
overcome what Jesus is building. Jesus is building something, a kingdom which will actually, which passes through death, which, which exceeds death, which, which is victorious over death. In verse 21, look at next week, Jesus says that he must be killed, but on the third day he must rise again. And friends, that is a remarkable claim. That is an extraordinary claim. That is a claim which, if true, puts Jesus in a category which is unique above all people who have ever lived. Now, if it's not about pushing out the Romans with a sword, then what will Jesus' kingdom look like and how is he going to build it? Have a look again at uh, verse 18. He says to Peter, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Um, Peter's answer was so good that uh, Jesus went and changed his name. Uh, Peter's name wasn't always Peter. Uh, his name was Simon, uh, the son of Jonah. But Jesus says, from now on, you're going to be called Peter. Now, why? Why would he do that? Well, it's because of the meaning of the word Peter, Petros in the Greek. It means rock. You are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And uh, what does he mean by church? Well, I've got to tell you, it's got nothing to do with a brick building with a steeple. Uh, the, the word church uh, means a community of, of people who gather. That's what it is. I mean, every king has his people, doesn't he? Uh, you're not king unless you're ruling over a people. Jesus will build his church, that is, he will gather his people upon the rock. Now, the Roman Catholic Church believes that this means that the church is built on Peter the man. And uh, they've extended that to say that every ecclesiastical descendant of Peter the Bishop of Rome, is the, the rock upon which the church is built. But that would be to misunderstand this passage and the context of the whole of the New Testament and the Bible. Because the church is not built on a man uh, other than the Lord Jesus. The church is built on that great truth with which God had revealed to Peter. Um, the, the church is built on the teaching of the apostles, not on the apostles themselves. And indeed, when it says that in, the, I think, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, it's talking about a multiplicity of apostles, not just one apostle, Peter. You see, when everyone else was saying, we think that Jesus is special, but he's just a prophet, Peter could say, no, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is the foundation stone. And then Jesus makes a promise in verse 19. In verse 19, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Jesus will give Peter the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's he on about? What, what is, you know, uh, is that a picture of, you know, uh, 
St. Peter floating up there on the clouds outside the pearly gates with this big key in his hand. You know, it's been pictured that way, hasn't it? No, I don't think that's the case at all. What it's saying is that Jesus will give his followers the very means by which people can gain entry into heaven itself or can be shut out from heaven. What do you think? What do you think is the key that unlocks the gates of heaven for people? How would you describe it? What, what do you think it is? I suggest to you it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's that message, it's that, that truth that Jesus is God's king, but more than that, that he established his kingdom through his death. For the death of God's son was a powerful death indeed. The death of God's son, the death of God's king was powerful enough for our sins to be paid for so that we can be forgiven. The death of God's son, God's king was powerful enough to, to take away from Satan the very thing that he, that he had over us and that is the guilt of our sin and Colossians, Paul says that he disarmed Satan. He took away the very thing which Satan was using to bind us in his kingdom forever and ever and ever. That is the guilt of our sin. Jesus, the king, by dying on the cross as the king, as God's son, has died a death so powerful, so sufficient that our sins are now paid for. Satan has been disarmed and therefore people can now be released from the grip that Satan had over us. And then Jesus rose from the grave, defeating death. Defeating death not just for himself but for all of us who are united with him. And that is the gospel message. It is through that message that Jesus is building his kingdom. Jesus is the owner-builder of the church. He owns it. He builds it. And over the past couple of thousand years, uh, that great message has been shared and preached and proclaimed and taught to people all over the world. Uh, millions and millions and millions of people have heard about God's king dying for them and rising again and they've believed that message they've believed who Jesus is and what he's done and in believing that message they have experienced a deep and a very profound and personal sense of being set free have you experienced that? Have you experienced the uh, knowledge that because of who Christ is and what he's done for you, that you have been set free from the burden of the guilt of your sin, set free to now know God personally and enjoy a relationship with him in his kingdom forever? But then there are those who reject God's message. And the passage there says that they are still in bondage. They are still locked up. They are still with Satan in his kingdom forever 
and ever. And so this Christmas, the question is, who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, An important cultural figure? uh, An influential teacher? A moral philosopher? uh, A founder of a great worldwide religion? Uh, Friends, I've got to tell you this, that uh, throughout history there are stacks of people who fit into one or more of those categories yet they have no claim on your life but Jesus on the other hand is a figure of history who the Bible says is actually alive today and therefore he does have a claim on your life It's not sufficient for us to um, simply know and understand and speak about what other people say about Jesus as if it's a bit of an intellectual exercise, something all about having a knowledge of, you know, the meaning of Christmas being about Jesus and so on and talking about what other people think and say about him. Um, And and you can do that, can't you? Uh, You can go through life uh, just thinking about what other people say about Jesus but never actually nailing your own colours to the mast. That's that's just fence-sitting. Friends, as you read about the life of Jesus in the Gospels, about his miracles, about his teachings, you can't avoid the personal question. You can't keep putting it off. You must arrive at a personal decision about who Jesus is for that affects your life not only now but for all of eternity so who do you say Jesus is let's pray Father we thank you that uh, in the scriptures that you reveal to us uh, truths about Jesus We pray for each one of us that we would deeply consider uh, what your word says about Jesus and uh, the implications for that on our lives. We uh, pray, Father God, for any of us here, part of this church or visitors who have been uh, thinking about Jesus but have not made a personal decision one way or the other. Uh, We pray, Lord God, that uh, like Peter, that uh, you would work in each one of our hearts and reveal to us the truth of your Son, the Christ. Amen.